Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, chairman of the American Theatre Wing, with our board president, Doug Leeds. Welcome to today's program, where we will be exploring the role of the casting director. We will be back later to tell you more about the work of the American Theatre Wing. But right now, please join us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. The iconic images of the Broadway musical A Chorus Line is that of actors standing on the line, headshot in hand, hoping to be cast. How an actor arrives at that final casting call is often difficult to navigate without the guidance of a casting director who makes auditioning streamlined, efficient, and effective. I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Welcome to Working in the Theatre. With us today are four influential casting directors. Bernie Telsey, casting director for Wicked and Grey Gardens. Tara Rubin, casting director for Monty Python's Spamalot and Jersey Boys. Laura Stanzik, casting director for Translations and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And Daniel Swee, casting director for The Coast of Utopia and The Vertical Hour. Welcome to you all. Thank you. I want to start by reading a definition from the Casting Society of America of a casting director. It's very brief. The producer's representative responsible for choosing performers for consideration by a producer or director. But to begin, tell us, does that tell us enough about what you do? How do you work as a casting director? Daniel, I'll start with you. Uh, well, I, I guess the thing that doesn't fully make sense about that is that it says that we're responsible for choosing the actors. I think that we're responsible for uh, uh, perhaps choosing the actors under consideration. I think that's what I said. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, then. Uh, the directors choose the actors. We're, we're uh, responsible for uh, knowing as many actors as possible, for uh, uh, trying to uh, identify them, and having conversations with the director, the writer, the producers uh, to find out what it is that they're looking for. We try to come up with a common vision for the show, for a common vision for the actors for specific roles, and then it's our job to locate them, uh, to present suggestions, to present options, to set up auditions if uh, we'll be doing auditions, and to advise them as we're casting the show. Is it always the case mm -hmm. that you talk not only with the director, but with the author? Laura, is that your experience? When it's possible, you know, when the author is living and the <laughs> author is active, um, particularly with young authors, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got a lot of opinions. Yeah, especially with new plays, whether it be yeah. a play or a musical. We, you know, because they're the people who basically started the thing, and even though the director has a concept, it's always important to get inside the writer's head so we can know what he or she is thinking about when they were writing it. Do you think of your roles as being part of the creative team of the show, or are you an administrative part of the team, Tara? It changes from project to project. Sometimes the collaboration is incredibly creative and you ha you, your role is, um, is, is much more active in the process of, of determining you know, what, the, what the overall concept of the play will be. Sometimes you're working with a team of people who have a very firm idea that's presented to you. And you become a sort of, you know, you, you become a person who facilitates that, help 
you know, help translate that into the the lives and minds of, of specific actors. Sometimes uh, you're almost a clerk. You know, you're, there's a list of, of actors who, who want you know who the actor wants, who the director wants to see, and, and you basically. Um, Get them in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the less satisfying. Yeah. Jobs. Yes. Right. Yeah. Significantly. So it, it really depends on the creative team and the relationship you have with that creative team. We all go into it wanting and yeah. believing that it's going to be much more collaborative because you feel like you could suggest ideas that maybe someone on the team wasn't thinking about. Just like the way the director and the writer form their collaboration, we become then the other person who gets involved in the process. And sometimes you hope that you know somebody out there that they, you know, have a prayer of knowing hmm. and that you can bring into the room and have everybody go, you know, and that's a great joy. Right. That, that aspect of getting to know people, obviously we all hear stories about how many tens of thousands of actors there are in New York, certainly, looking for work. How do you get out there and familiarize yourself with this, with this pool of talent? You abandon your children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, you're just all the time going to see shows, whether it be you know Broadway shows or off-Broadway shows that everybody is aware of, or you're seeing you know showcases and things that are running all the way downtown in 59-seat theaters, looking for actors that might fit into one of the projects that you're looking for. And then there's the searches that a lot of us do across the country, especially with the musicals. You're always looking for new young talent. And, and we're also be anywhere. always going to school presentations. Right. Uh, actor training programs have presentations in New York every year. At this point, there are probably, what, 60 of them that come right. to New York. Too you many. can't go to all of them. Your staff can't go to all of them. But we see a lot. And I've been, you know, I have notes going back 20 years, practically, uh, or 20 years on Juilliard, uh, graduating Juilliard classes, NYU uh, MFA program classes, Yale classes, going back that far. And you draw on that constantly. We keep copious notes about um, uh, every audition we've ever done. So uh, I'm, I'm sure yeah. you know, we have these offices with books and books in them, with, and you're constantly referencing these. So, so someone may have auditioned for a project six years ago, and you have notes on them so that you go back uh, to those notes uh, looking for them when you're going for, uh, looking for ideas in different projects. How much of an opportunity do you have, Bernie, you mentioned, you know, constantly looking for new talent, you said particularly for musicals, but how much opportunity do you have to present new talent to directors, or are people always looking for people with the most experience? Oh, I would say it's about 50-50. I mean, yes, with certain plays, you're looking for that experienced actor, you know, that you know can carry the show and has the training and the resume that you need. And that's probably more for a play or even talk radio, which we just cast. All the people supporting Leah are making their Broadway debuts. So, but they're not right out of school. I mean, they're working actors, but they might have been in the regional theater or they might have been off Broadway, but here they are getting a chance to sort of shine on Broadway. So I would say much more people are open to new talent, especially with the musicals. I mean, so many musicals on the boards today are young 20-year-olds. And the only way to find them is for them to be new. And everybody wants that new, great voice that can be the discovery. Do you find you're brought into the casting process really right at the beginning? Or do you sometimes find you come onto a project and certain roles are already filled, and then you're casting around those? Well, that again depends on the production team. I mean, the director, who his, what his relationships are, what the author's relationships are. 
if the show's been done someplace else? <coughs> it, it also varies. I, I work um, for Lincoln Center Theater um, uh, and cast all of the plays there. Uh, we start everything from, from scratch, essentially. So uh, on those shows, I'm, I'm pretty much involved from the ground up. On commercial productions, it really varies. I think that, that some shows will only happen if there is a star in place. Uh, so I in those cases, either we're brought on after the star's in place and after there's a definite show happening, or sometimes we're brought on in advance to find a star uh, because the production will only happen if there is a star in place. So it really uh, it varies a lot from, uh, from show to show. And it, as Bernie said, I think it's very much true that, that if you're uh, looking for a 50-year-old leading lady for a play on Broadway, chances are uh, it's not going to be an unknown. Chances right. are... Right. Um, the producers will know everyone you're talking about. Uh, if you're looking for a 25-year-old supporting role, you're absolutely searching for, for new people all of the time. It's, it's there, and there's a lot in between there, so I think mm -hmm. it really varies. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about that issue of stars for a minute. <coughs> when a producer comes to you and says, I'd like to do this show, but we need a star, What's your process? Are you reaching out primarily to representatives? Are you able to reach out directly to stars on behalf of the producer? How does, how does that go? It's <laughs> tricky. Yeah, I mean, I think we all start with making lists. Yeah. Who we, you know, and lists of stars, possibly. And then, of course, then there's the, you know, the definition of what is a star on Broadway versus what is a star, because do you mean you want someone who's going to get press, or do you want someone who's going to sell tickets before it ever even opens. And those are always the discussions that are tricky because everybody has a different opinion. Except you missed one thing. Yeah. You didn't say, are they right for the part? Yeah, oh no, yeah, that, well, that's the other one. Well, <laughs> yeah. one, <coughs> one yeah, obviously, that's right. what you hope right. for, but sometimes that's less a consideration than I think all of us would want it to be. I think on the original company, that's a... a, a a major component of the decision is the the actor's suitability right. for for the project. It, the the right star becomes the reason to do particularly maybe a revival of a play or a revival of a musical. Let's see this person. Let's see Brian Dennehy and Christopher yeah, Plummer do the Inherit the Wind. You know. Mm -hmm. um, so I, in that case, I think their suitability, when you get into replacement casting, the suitability becomes less, of a, less important and the, you know, the value, the box office potential of a particular artist becomes more important because the profile of the, of the show begins to diminish a little bit in competition with things that have opened since then. And so, you know, since, since, so, right. so then it, it changes somewhat. And, the, you know, and the process can be you, you get a director and a producer on the same page as far as, okay, what star to go after for this play or musical? And then, like you asked, how do we get them? That's the whole other aspect mm -hmm. of the casting job because, yes, we call the representatives, but it's not so easy because, you know, representatives don't necessarily want their actors or their star actors to perform on Broadway and be tied up for so long. And so make a fraction of the amount of money, money that they would make doing a, a film. So it's really tricky and you have to figure out as a casting director, do you go through the manager, do you go through the agent, do you go through the personal relationship that you may have or maybe the director might have and you try to go, you know, you go any which way you can to get to the place of trying to get that star excited about this idea. 
We talk to agents, you know, whenever we're in the office, we're usually on the phone with an right. agent, and I just kind of constantly, you know, harangue them. So when is so-and-so going to do a play for us? When is, you know, you know I would, wouldn't, we, wouldn't he love to be to replace in a musical just for six months, just to have that experience? <laughs> I'm constantly selling the idea of coming to New York and being in a play. Um, don't their kids want to spend the summer in right, right, New York? Because right. sometimes we might try to cast a star even though we don't know what the project is. <laughs> Meaning, like, if we get if, that if sort of bite and yeah. says, so-and-so's looking to do a play next September, you know, then it's our job to sort of share that information with our producers that we work with, that we might be working with, or our directors, and try to be that matchmaker. I mean, many times, I think another definition <laughs> of what we do is like we're matchmakers, basically. Is there the ideas for the stars, certainly, that working on stage is a validation for them? Is that a selling point if they're primarily known in other fields? Is that something you can lean on? Absolutely. If it's something they want, you know, I mean, and again, I think if you can get to the artist directly, uh, more and more there is a long line of people between an artist and a project. Right. Hmm. And finding out what's important to that person can be a very, very difficult process. Um, the timing is really a, yeah. a, a big factor. Someone who's just come off a series after four years and has, does have a background, let's say, or is, in tr is trained in the theater, and it makes sense at that point in his career to go back and do a play. And, Finances aren't much of a consideration at that point because it's been earning a great deal of money. Um, so, getting a person at that time is, you know, is is a good. It's that's always very right. advantageous to us. Or someone who's just done two or three movies and wants to have that kind of a change, as you say, the validation thing. Someone who right. someone who's never been in a play and kind of wants to to prove that he can do it. That's of course. But more often, Risky. it's yeah. such hard work. I mean, it's very, you know, it's v to do eight shows a week. If you're starring in a musical or starring in, you know, a, 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 a demanding role in a play, you live like a monk somewhat, you know? You have to save your voice. You can't, you know, you can't, can't go skiing on the weekends. Right. You can't do a lot of the things that you can do when you're living the life of a motion picture actor or a television actor. And it's a it's a huge commitment and a and it's a huge job. Right. Well, let's go to the other end of the spectrum because <laughs> you spoke earlier that you're out seeing stuff constantly. Your staffs are seeing things constantly. But when you do see that person in some off-off Broadway show in a 50-seat house and you see something, what do you do and what can you do when you see someone like that in terms of of trying to bring them into into shows, and, and do you, in fact, help to guide them? Daniel, do you? Well, the first thing you do is remember them. Right. <laughs> it's the most important thing, because you don't know whether there's going to be something that they might be right for. You try to remember what they're like so that when something that's a possibility comes along, you bring them in. Um, now, you don't necessarily bring them in for the director at that point, because you don't really know their work, but you bring them in to, we call either pre-read or screen someone. We audition them without the director there to see if they're right for something. So it's a, it again goes back to having those notes, uh, whether they're just mental notes or, or 
actual written yes, notes yeah, yeah. that we all have that you're always referring to where you think, oh, right, I saw that production of Major Barbara at the Pearl four years ago, and there was that one young guy in it who was really good. Here's a role to try him for. And then you bring him in, and sometimes it's a great thing. Sometimes you just get to know them better, and you know what to start bringing them in for. And then you I do that sometimes. I, I will bring someone in mm. to read, even when I think that he might be on the outer edges of what's right for that part, just to kind of be in a room with him, meet him, see, you know, hear his voice again, and, and it just, it helps me remember him to have made that first connection. Right. And, you know, maybe he will move on in that project, or maybe he'll just go into the notes and into the file right. for, for a later date. But I think for all of us, it's sort of like when you see one of these people in one of these showcases or presentations and you love them, you get energized because uh, you know, I know for me it's like I can't wait to get back to the office and see what I could put them in. <laughs> you know, whether it's bring them in for this, 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 or the other, but you, you, there's an energy about wanting to try to match that exciting performer up with a job. Uh, so. I think it's one of the most rewarding things about Absolutely. doing musicals is, is, is the opportunity to give so many people their first you know, professional, really professional job. This, you know, and oftentimes they're not represented, so you're you tell them directly that they have the job and you know you get them in the restaurant and they start screaming and it's really you know it, it, and then you want to get them before Tara gets well, them you know, you know that. it's good for your yeah. soul because yeah. well, you say no so many times oh, right. so, so it's so nice when you do get to say yes you know true. So let me ask very practically for the people out right. there who might be interested in, uh, in trying to be cast if there's a quick bit of advice that you would give to a performer about auditioning. Is there some words of wisdom that you each have that you would say to them? I just want to go right down the line and ask. Quick thought. Preparation. Yeah. You have to be really prepared. Uh, more often than not, you have material in advance. Uh, we usually provide material in advance when we're calling someone for a scheduled audition. And you need to really spend a tremendous amount of time for in preparation. And I don't think most actors, I don't mean to, no, to don't break into the line, but I think a lot of young actors don't realize how much preparation they need to do. You know, I, I mean, they think that, I think sometimes, they think that if they've sort of made the words their own and they have a sort of, you know, general familiarity with the text, that they can come in and do an audition. When in fact, we're looking for a tremendous amount of detail, a tremendous amount of depth, and if it's a two-page scene, we re you know, because someone else will have done that. Right, that's yeah. the and, thing. You know, someone else will, it's like when someone says, do I have to learn this whole song by tomorrow? Well, I can't tell you you have to learn that song by tomorrow, but I know that a lot of the people will. Right. Because it's not so just about being good at the audition, it's about being the best of the day or, or better than the person before and after you so you get the job. It's, you know, and it's funny, I think a lot of young actors, particularly although I've seen it across the board time and again, they rely on a quality. <clears throat> I'm right for this. And so the audition kind of just lays there because they haven't done the work. And then somebody, I had an actor come in from LA a couple of days ago who had done such work, such research, and the rest of the guys who are all very good New York actors and people who were right for it. None of them had even begun to approach what this man had done. And they hadn't a prayer. 
There is a quote uh, from Susan Stroman in an article in the Wall Street Journal about your work, Tara, in which um, she refers to you preparing the actors beforehand. Do you actually really give advice to people who are coming into audition? And if so, oh, yeah. what's, what's that process? Well, yeah. I mean, I th you know, we do what Daniel was saying earlier. We do a lot of pre-screen auditions, especially if it's young people, or sometimes not even just young, because we know the director might only have an hour, and he or she's got to see five people. But yet we come up with 15 that are right or 12 that are right. So we might see those who will come in for us to try to sort of narrow down. And then uh, we're always giving hints. I mean, we just did it yesterday looking for a new understudy talk radio. It's, I've now been in a room with Bob Falls. I know what he wants. I'm not saying I'm the end all of how things should be acted, but I know what he's looking for. And I feel like I might as well just tell that to the actor because it's only going to help them get the job. And then those are the ones who do get the job. So we're constantly giving as many hints and as many possibilities. You know, sing it this way, because this is what the musical director is looking for. So yes. Would be the, well, and it's not yeah. like we're giving the magical no, words exactly. or, or line readings. It's, it's uh, it, where, where we've already often sat in the room with the director, so we know how they see a scene, how they see a character, how they interpret a scene. Uh, we've seen the direction they're giving to actors in, in auditions, right. so right. so we know sort of how to help uh, an actor shape their audition so that they're on the right track when they come in for the director. We don't always know that. We're not always able to do that. But if we are, then we do it because it's helpful. Because it, we actually, and this is the thing that often I think actors don't think about, right. we want them to be good when they walk in the room. Right. It, it, we wouldn't be bringing them in if we didn't want them to be good. So. So, and if we didn't want them to get the job, so um, we're, we're their friends, you know, right. we're their we do everything we can I, to be helpful, <coughs> I think. You right, know. and try to forget about the rejection. I mean, that's a given. Just like you have to go to the dentist. Mm. Whether you like it or not, you gotta go. And don't think about whether or not you're getting your teeth cleaned, cavities, or anything. For, of course someone's gonna get rejected. Most of the people are that day. But if we could try to get the energy to not worry about that and worry about the preparation and the work within the... 10 or 12 minutes that you're in the room. It's something they can do. Right. Like you can't, you right. know, you can't make the director cast you, but you can be as prepared as you can. You can be dressed appropriately for the part. You can, you know, you can, the, I always encourage actors, just do the things that you can do right. and do them as thoroughly and, and, and as comprehensively as you can. And then the rest is you know, th then, then you, can, you can leave with a happy heart. That's what I always tell them, right. is that, that they need to be able to leave the room feeling like they did the best possible job they right. did, because after that they have no control over it. There's right. so many factors right. outside of their control. They should, if, as long as they did their best possible work, they're ahead of the game. And they also don't know that, you know, we're not the only people with long memories. Directors also have memories. That's right. And uh, they see people <laughs> that may not be, well, okay, um, you know, that may not be right for one thing. Um, but we'll be right for something else, and particularly if, as a casting director, you have an ongoing relationship with them, you can say, remember so-and-so? Right. And they do. So since the cardinal sin would apparently be unpreparedness, <laughs> let me also ask, what are the worst habits you see people coming in with that people should try to avoid? Talking too much, chatting too much. Their nerves can make an actor just... Chat, 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 chat. 
You know, we ask the yeah. impossible right. in auditions. Yeah. I mean, you think about this. Here's a person who, you know, has to try to get a job with his with his skills. You know, if I had to do it, we'd, my family would starve. And, 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 and maybe they just learned a song the night before or the day before, and so they're going to be standing in a room with new material. And maybe Stephen Sondheim is sitting at the table, you know, or maybe the director will come up and talk to you, and you have to work on the spot with all of these people watching you. And so I always say, you know, an actor's ability to be able to take on what, what a director or, or a writer gives them in the room is an incredible skill. And, but when, you, when I think about it at the end of the day, and I think, my God, what that person did yeah, today, right, right. you know, it, it, with the nerves and with everything that was happening, he could still listen, he could still take it in, and he could still do it. I mean, it's extraordinary right. to think that, 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 I mean, actors are amazing, you know, they make magic for us in, in the room. So. I know we're supposed to be talking about what they shouldn't do. <laughs> I guess they shouldn't not make magic when they can, <laughs> when they can avoid it. <laughs> no, and, but, and I think, and they have to sort of, I mean, it's what you're saying, Tara, be open to what's thrown at them. Yeah. As oppo- and I know it's difficult, but as opposed to, oh, I didn't have this and I didn't have that. Right, defending you know, it's it Again, it goes, yeah. be, don't be unprepared, but it's sort of being available. It's sort and of... Present. Yeah, mm-hmm. present. You, yeah, an actor needs to be able to show a director in the room that they can work with them through a rehearsal process. And very often, if you ask them to do a scene they haven't prepared or hand them a script and say, would you mind looking at this cold, you get that deer in the headlights thing and, and a defensiveness. And that, in my experience, puts a director off. Well, most people, right. we all want to work with people who want to roll up their sleeves and dive in, no matter what our job is, you know. And so, so directors are looking right. for that, too. I've seen directors say, okay, now read the other part. You know, he's reading a scene. Now you read the other part. And, you know, <laughs> it's like amazing. Yeah, read the other part. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. thrilling. It's thrilling when that happens. Yeah. Tara, you just made the comment, if I had to do it, I'd starve, <laughs> referring to people auditioning all the time. But let me ask you, um, have any of you acted or directed? Bernie, you're a producer with MCC, right. Right. Uh, your own company. But, but have you ever taken the plunge and, and tried to do what they do? Oh, I acted for about a year after school. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> I, got I was of, the most unsuccessful actress yeah, I've ever yeah. met. So, and I've met a lot of actors. Well, just, yeah, I mean, I started acting right at NYU, and I uh, understudied Matthew Broderick, oddly enough, in Brighton Beach Memoirs. But it, I just, wow. you know, you immediately know within 10 minutes mm-hmm. that I wasn't the kind of actor that I was starting to see auditioning before or after me. And I also got you know, invited into a casting office and started working with them and found myself loving that much more because you start, you know, seeing talented actors and you want to help them rather than be a better actor. Laura was a very good yeah. actress and a singer. <laughs> <laughs> she was. Right. And I auditioned for Tara and she yeah. remembers. Scarily enough. She was very talented. Just pull out those notes. <laughs> I actually did. But when I joined Binder, I went and I looked up Beauty and the Beast and I looked up my, my notes because I had like four or five auditions for it. Awesome. It, wasn't, were they? it wasn't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't pretty. They were all good until yeah. the final one and it said, not Broadway standard. Um. <laughs> So, but, you know, after a while, I think I was just tired of bashing my head up against a wall. And I'm much happier. 
Did you ever write? Daniel? I was excellent in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. As were we all. <laughs> we all were. Camp, I think. <laughs> Didn't you do some musical weeds in camp, I think? You in camp, yeah. I played Tevye, did you? <laughs> and no. <laughs> well, well I can go back. <laughs> we're going to take a short break now and hear a few more words about the work of the American Theatre Wing. The American Theatre Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. We stand for excellence and we support education in the theatre. Best known for creating the Tony Award, our work reaches beyond Broadway and New York. These seminar programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are an unequaled forum for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth interviews are heard on XM Satellite Radio. Our grant and scholarship programs support New York theater companies and theater students. And since we began, we have given away more than two and a half million dollars. Our theater intern group helps young people who are just starting in their careers build a professional network. And Springboard NYC is a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Now, let's return to the seminar. start by asking Tara, is it difficult to replace an actor for a specific <laughs> role when you've had Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick in those roles? Yes, and, and I would say of all the replacement casting I've ever done, that's been the most difficult. Um, they were just so brilliant in those two parts and their, their relationship was, was so great. And the show, uh, had such success while they were in it. They, we, they won all those Tony Awards and it was sold out and it was, an event, it was a, a great theatrical event you know, with, with them. The expectations for who would step into their shoes were enormous and they're, they're a kind of dying breed of, of Broadway star in the sense that they are Broadway stars. They can sing, they can dance, they are very funny. And they understood the, the text so well. They could, they could talk Mel Brooks really well. They just understood the rhythms of the way he writes. So the expectations were, were enormous. And because of their enormous success in it, there weren't very many actors who raised their hand to say, let me be the next one to do it. And so, you know, I've read a lot of criticism <laughs> and a lot of com complaints about our recasting sometimes. And it was all the names that came up, that come up and when people say, why didn't they get this person? Well, I guarantee you that they were all approached. <laughs> but um, other, you know, other stars are, are very reluctant to try to step into 
apart when when an actor has left that kind of legacy in, mm. with it, you know. And these aren't parts where you can just walk in and in no. two weeks be yeah. able to right. put it up. I mean, they're massive roles and they take real rehearsal and... And real and stage shops. Yes. Yeah, they really, you know, yeah, you know, the person who plays Max Bialystok has to do that song Betrayed right before the end of the show, which is what, like, you know, four minutes long. And, it, and, and he has to be able to sing really well. And the person who plays Leo Bloom has to really, you know, dance in a number. So the kind of what people refer to as stunt casting, you know, like we couldn't, if he had wanted to, we couldn't have put like a lot of the pop stars who have done replacement casting on Broadway. Chicago. Then a lot of the stars who have been enormously successful in mm -hmm. Chicago wouldn't have the skill set to go into the producers. So we were very, I think, lucky to have so many great kind of New York actors who did understand how to talk Mel Brooks language and could sing and could dance, um, who kept the show going really well for a very long time, um, but they weren't, they weren't stars who were recognizable. They weren't in People magazine and you know, they weren't on the chat shows. Yeah, there's not the same tradition of staying and working in the theater as there used to be on stage. We don't breed musical theater actors the way we used to. Um, you know, there's just not the same number of people who spend years becoming song and dance men and then turning into huge stars and maybe coming back. I, I just, it's not a... Well, there, and there are, fewer right, there are fewer vehicles for them, them to, to do, do that it. in. And, and nowadays, if there is a young person who is a breeding musical theater star, right. you know, the minute they're a success in Broadway, they get snatched up and get a television series. Mm -hmm. You know, you Kristen know, so. Chenoweth is one of those very rare people right. who is a bona fide musical theater star who's got a, you know, film and television career and is, is bouncing back and will come back. And how many more of those do you see every year? Well, as we talk about casting, right. Bernie, I want to ask you, did Wicked pose the same kind of problems? And since Laura just mentioned Kristen. Yeah, and no. I mean, you, yeah, you, when, when Wicked first opened and you have performers like Adina and Kristen, in that situation you go, okay, I need to have a talent as exciting, as fantastic as those two, which they both were. It wasn't a show that needed names, and that show became a bigger name than the you know than necessarily Adina did and Kristen. The roles did. You know, I think your challenge with producers, as big a hit as producers was, it was also a Nathan hit and a Matthew hit. So we, our producers and creative team, never were looking for names, looking for just young people who can deliver the performance that's necessary. So it's a challenge in a different way, because we go to all the schools and we're looking for young people all the time, but usually they're just not crafted or seasoned enough to be able to do what Elphaba or Galinda has to do. But it's not about the name issue. Well, since the phrase stunt casting came up, this is a period where there seem to be lots of new ideas about how to bring uh, celebrity to Broadway or new stars to Broadway. We're seeing uh, right. a contest play out over weeks on uh, national television for a production of Grease. We are seeing many alumni of American Idol turning up on stage. As professionals who are out there seeking the best talent for the best parts, I have to ask, how do you all react to, to these, uh, these turns of events? 
Well, they're probably all driven by the fact that you took our Tony Award away for replacement casting <laughs> for actors. It was one of our one of our selling points. Jeez, Louise, how did you get rid of that? I mean, but that was a really attractive thing, you know, yeah. in trying to approach people who have not been on Broadway. I mean, I can't tell you how many agents and managers love that idea because that's all they want to hear is that their client can possibly walk Win away a with a Tony nomination or even a Tony Award. So. It's very disappointing that you took that away from us <laughs> casting people. Uh, but how do we feel? I mean, I, you know, I think the American Idol, being one who uses the American Idol very much, is another source of just finding entertainment. I mean, I could stand behind the few American Idol people that have been put into the shows. I mean, someone like a Diana DeGarmo, you know, was fantastic in She's Hairspray. Adorable. She was better than better. And to me, if that's also then someone who can help sell tickets or help a show get some recognition, why not? I mean, it's not like any of those people who are losing the contest on American Idol aren't talented. I mean, they've gotten to a certain point because they were talented. So for us, I think it's no different than finding a great kid at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, and yet it's another form of finding a star rather than just having to go to television and film because at least here's a medium where they already sing so that it's, it makes sense that they would hopefully be able to act, too. You wouldn't want to throw a kid from American Idol into Coast of Utopia. Right. You know, Coast I mean, it's... There are it's a few American. <laughs> are there? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, right. obviously you want to match the skill set to what you're looking for. And right. there, you know, there's a lot of adorable young people yeah. popping up on those shows. Because we're doing open calls all over the country, so that's like a, you know, an access. Hmm. You know, that we They're doing a lot of weeding find. for us. Right. Well, you're talking about sense. Idol, but what, what about these contest programs that are specifically casting for a Broadway show or for a West End show? Yeah, that's so They're tricky. about the program, they're not about the casting. Yeah. Right, right. It's, it's, it's completely different from, to me anyway. I mean, my objection to American Idol is I, I think that we, that American Idol has has brought to the American public some enormously talented singers and and you know vivid personalities. You know, um, I I because I always try to make the casting process like a really human and uh, appreciative and considerate event. I have a really hard time watching the panel on American Idol be oh, yeah. being yeah, rude and and. Um, the opposite of that. And I guess I've also always, um, and some people came to talk to me about uh, doing a reality kind of casting thing, and this was several years ago, and I didn't really realize what the meeting was going to be about. So when they came in and they said, so we'd have like cameras in for the auditions, <laughs> and I was like, you know what, I think you've got the wrong person. I'm all about drawing the veil around the room. I'm not about opening it, you know? So I've just always, tried to support actors by giving them a, a kind of safe and protected environment to do this this hard job that we were talking about earlier and so the idea that that you know someone sings his heart out is voted off the show and then we exp it's like gladiators you know and then we say okay yeah. go out there and right, sing right. one right. more time yeah. honey no, the process of it's how they amazing. show what casting is yeah. Doesn't make sense, it's, and that's it's what. It's not what we do. I right. guess that's, that's to do my with point. What we is do. it's right. not what we do, yeah. um, and it, it, yeah, and it, I think it denigrates the the casting process a little bit. I would even go as far as to say that because I I would hope 
Because I know that most viewers think, oh, well, that's what casting is. Right. That's what you don't want. You don't want people. I mean, I'm supportive of the Grease thing. That's a specific programming to do that show, just like a revival is different than a new play. But you would hope that the general buying theater audience is not thinking that's how it's done. (laughs) Because it's true. That's what happened. People think we sit in the room like Simon at a regular audition for Wicked, and it's not what we do. I mean, I'm thrilled to see that talented American Idol, but the process is not what I think any you of us... You will not accept that. Let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum of talking about stars and American Idol, and since it was brought up facetiously, the challenge of a production like Coast of Utopia has got to be a regular show times God knows how many multiples. What was the process be- for that show? It was... Uh, it was, it was interesting. It was um, uh, easy. <laughs> I knew he was trying to come. Piece, it was a piece of cake. Um, bring on the next one. I'm looking for a 55. Uh, uh, yeah. It was, it was fascinating. I, I have to say, it was completely enjoyable, mostly because Jack O'Brien is um, so great to work with. As you know, I think uh, almost everyone here has worked with him. Um, uh, He's, he sort of approaches everything with a uh, uh, can-do mentality, which is uh, a remarkable thing when you're casting, because often people see the, the uh, problems rather than the, the solutions to things, and he's always looking for solutions. The, the thing that was most interesting was that uh, we had to first find the principles, which is standard in, in any casting um, process, but, but it was off of them that we had to cast everyone else, so we really couldn't start setting uh, all of these hundreds, <laughs> it seems, of people <laughs> in the cast until we had the three or four uh, central characters. Once we had them, it went pretty quickly and had to go pretty quickly uh, because of Jack's schedule and the production schedule. But what was different, I, I thought about that, was that with a lot of the smaller characters, we were really discovering who the characters were in the audition room. Often, um, the director, <coughs> if, it's a, if it's an established play already, or, or the playwright is right there, which, which Tom was in this case, but, but often the, the characters are perhaps more defined, so we would, uh, you'd know a little bit more what you were looking for. In the case of a lot of these characters, we kind of were trying different things, and, and who they were began to emerge in the audition room, which was fascinating, and also because of the doubling requirements of how people had to play either more than one character in a single play or, or multiple characters in the different plays, uh, how we were going to m- match that up was, was a challenge and was, was really exciting to work on. But there are certain people who I've discovered now after having worked on a number of plays by Stoppard um, and with Jack, is that there are certain people who have a real affinity for, mm-hmm. his, um, for his language and uh, a way of approaching it that's extremely natural as, a way of, as opposed to um, uh, the pitfall of people trying to uh, approach it, I guess, almost intellectually, in which case it becomes preachy. Um, and so we did have a pool of people to draw on who had either worked uh, on on Stoppard Place in the past with Jack, or uh, worked, you know, uh, directors liked the idea of a company, and in this case we were really creating a company, and, um, you know, there were people from Jack's company of Henry Ford that we'd put together who we wanted to work with again, and uh, so there's a great sort of family uh, environment that was able to be created from it, I think. Education for women! Yes! <laughs> Indeed! Not just piano 
lessons of Russian grammar. Poor Lefebvre, Bakunin. Though, well, mind you, they write better Russian than I do. What a shame. There's nothing worth reading. Laura, you had an experience a couple of years ago where perhaps casting was more in the public eye than in most, <coughs> speaking of sweet charity. <laughs> is, is, is it, it would seem much harder to work when you've got so much attention focused on, you know, you've got to replace somebody in a hurry. Well, you're talking about Christina and her. Absolutely. Um, the thing about Christina, of course, was ultimately we didn't replace her because she is such an astonishing trooper and she had such will um, to play the part and simply would not give up um, against everybody's <laughs> advice. And, and she made it, and she was darling, and she was absolutely great. I mean, th that last minute happens, that last minute replacement situation happens to all of us, um, I'm certain. Um, and it, you know, I think it's absolutely about remaining positive. Let me change tack and ask about working with institutional companies, casting for institutional companies, both here in New York and then regionally. Do you have a different dynamic of how you can approach casting a show when you're working in that kind of setting versus a commercial or Broadway setting? Um, well, since I do this <laughs> full time, uh, I'll start. I, I I find, by and large, the process is the same, except when I'm working f on a commercial production that is saying we need a star. Um, other than that, people are looking for the best possible casts, I think, and directors want to find the casts that are most suitable to their shows, and producers are looking for the casts who are most suitable to their shows, who also have, will sell the most tickets. Um, but uh, for Lincoln Center Theater, um, you know, I'm blessed to work for an organization that, that really doesn't I would say, look for stars per se. We are always about trying to find the best possible actor for a role. And uh, there's maybe a little bit of a difference on, on, on that front, though I, I do think that looking at many institutional theaters in New York, they are um, uh, feeling uh, the pressure more and more to find names for uh, their productions because things have gotten so competitive in terms it's of selling tickets. It's incredibly, you know, if, if there are stars at the roundabout, we have to have <coughs> stars at second stage, right. too. Same thing. You know, and you, you have stars, it at the Atlantic and at your company, right. I'm sure, but it's, um, I find that that's a major change. Even since I've had my own company and I've been working at second stage, I feel like each season gets more and more, there's more pressure the pressure right. increases each season to deliver something that, that's going to be a, a big event on, in, because right. we compete at second it, yeah. stage with MCC and with Playwrights right. Horizons and with, with all the other theaters, you know. Well, Laura, you mentioned it's quickly your work at McCarter. Do you have to do more of a selling job either to an agent or to an actor themselves in order to cast them? And certainly Princeton's not as far away. We could be talking about a regional theater that's 100, 200, 1,000 miles from New York. Does it change the equation of who you can bring into a production? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, without doubt. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, it's a, it, they're glorious people and it's a glorious place to work. and. I think most actors who've worked there have had a great time doing it, but it's very hard to get people to go out of town, even if it's an hour and ten minutes away. 
It has to be something very special. I mean, we were very lucky on translations because we had Gary Hines. And what he said was this. The old language is a barrier to modern progress. He said that last month. And he's right. I don't want Greek. I don't want Latin. I want English. I want to be able to speak English because I'm going to America as soon as the harvest's all saved. It was an astonishing process. And, I mean, we wound up getting some people who wound up being with the show but only committed after uh, Manhattan Theatre Club signed on. Right. Only after there was the transfer promise. I mean, I think... Even with Gary. Yeah, the challenge that gets added on to the job is that we become ambassadors for that institution because Mm -hmm. it's on paper, no matter how great the project is, there's too many obstacles that don't make that great project enough of a reason for an actor to go do it. And I feel like a lot of our job is talking so much about how wonderful it is to work at the Goodman or the McCarter or the Atlantic, you know, and that it's an institution and it's about this and it's about their past. And because we're trying to use anything we can to entice an actor to want to go, because sometimes on paper it's not Broadway or it's not, you know, $2,000 a week. And sometimes what you have to focus on is the fact that it's a nurturing environment outside of the spotlight. Right. And that there that's isn't, always a plus. You know, if you that, can get in there. Yeah, yeah. If that's important to an actor, I mean, some actors don't. You know, all they want is is, is to be the seen. Spotlight. <laughs> yes. Right. You know, as right. often and, I by, say and by the right critics, and you know, am I going to get reviewed by the New York Times? And you have to say, well, maybe you don't want to be reviewed by the Times at this point in the project's history, in the play's history. I mean, we regional right. theaters and institutional theaters do so much new work. And new work grows over time and changes. And so I mean, they're fun to cast in a different way because it en- enables us to find a group of actors that we might not necessarily have seen if we were just casting translations yeah. on Broadway from day one. You know, then you're, f- because a lot of those people are were not interested in going out of town, you're forced to open up your own creative lists and ideas. Let's go back to the very beginning for all actors and ask the very practical questions. How does an actor get an audition now? What are the what's this what are the steps? Yeah, I think, you know, if they're not represented and they don't have an agent or manager, a direct an actor's gotta be like a detective. They gotta figure out, you know, where's that show playing or what's that show that I want to audition and do the work to find out who's casting it and how do I find out about it. You know, too often I think people rely on just sitting and waiting for it to be announced in backstage. And that's just one option, but it's going to the casting office and dropping off pictures and resumes and, you know, writing Or they can be mailed. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's better if it's um, for a specific we, project. Right, I was just going to say that next. I mean, the actor who, well, go, go. Well, yeah, I right, just, right. I think that young actors waste an enormous amount of money sending right. postcards hither and yon to every casting director in New York saying, hey, I just booked a commercial last week. Right. I don't cast commercials. You know, that's... Uh, how m- right. What is that? 50 cents that you could have had in your pocket. How, m- you know, how often? Right. If you know you're right for something. Right. And you the actor that specifically writes on the note, I'd love to be seen for one of the replacements in rent, even if it's a temp in my office taking that picture for that moment, it's going to go in the rent box. And that, can, and that you, you person know, you know will probably be seen, be seen exactly, at some Exactly, because point. we all have boxes and boxes on these replacements of... That we're going to go through that box to look at our ideas when we're recasting that role in Rent. So, you know, I mean, as opposed to the kid who just drops our mails, a resume to the office and said, I'd love to be seen by your office. 
you're forced to go, hmm, ooh, I don't have anything right now. Okay, it doesn't go anywhere. Well, it's and who has the time for that right. person? Yes. I think you know? also everything really varies depending on the show. Every project casts completely differently. If you're casting a three-character play, it casts differently from a 30-person musical versus a 30-person musical that's running for five years. So, um, you know, some of it is, is being realistic in your expectations. And in fact, when, when there are long-running musicals being recast, there is a much, there's, there's a constant need for, for new people coming in. Um, but, but even with new plays, I, I agree. I think send in a picture and resume saying I'd like to be considered. Nine times out of ten, nothing's going to happen. But uh, if we have time, we will be trying to pre-screen as many people as possible. We, we read resumes. Uh, if someone has no credit uh, and no training, chances are we're, we're not going to bring them into pre-read. If someone has training, if someone has impressive credits that suggest, yeah, they might be right for something, we'll try it. I, I also find not enough people go to uh, EPAs, no. um, yeah. which are... Can you explain what those are? EPAs are equity principal auditions, which we're, uh, uh, all productions are required to do. Equity productions are required by the Union Actors' Equity Association to do. The rules vary for depending on the contract in terms of how many days of EPAs are required. but. For instance, for a, uh, a Broadway production that I've been working on called Frost Nixon, uh, which goes into rehearsal in a couple of weeks, we cast someone who I saw at an EPA uh, in a small role. I, I think a lot of people have this right. assumption that, you know, no one will ever be cast out of I don't think I've ever had an original company of a musical that didn't have at least one, and many times more than one person, who was in the musical yeah. because he, came, he or she came to the open call. Either the singer's call, the dancer's call, or the Because again, EPA. they're going into it thinking, oh, they don't want me. Or I don't want to sit around for 10 hours. But yet, we're always, I mean, we're, I, you know, I keep saying, like, we can't find enough actors to fill all the things that we have to fill. So something is not getting across the footlights. You know what I mean? If the actor's thinking, they don't want me. Well, is, there's a belief that you've got to have an agent to get cast. Are you saying that's not the it case? It is not true. Oh, right. I mean, I might... Uh, Particularly if you sing, yes. and particularly if you're realistic. If you don't have an agent and you don't have an, a, you know, a, a, a resume that shows a certain amount of experience, you might not be in a in a play at Lincoln Center, but you might be in a play at Yale Rep. You know, you might be in a play. At, you know, at yeah, MCC or the at, Atlantic. You know, those kind of things. Particularly if you're willing to consider understudying. Right. If you're willing to consider covering, if you can identify, because what young actors don't understand is they need to foster a relationship, not just with directors, but with casting directors, so that we can trust their work and say, I know that this person is not just a flash in the pan particularly when it's a play. You have to be able to know that they're going to show up eight times a week. You have to know that it's consistent. Right. So if they're working in New York, even if it's showcases, even if it's little stuff downtown, and work begets work, people get right. to see it. You're recommended by somebody. Um, I bring young actors in to be readers for me all the time, and I get to know their work Can you as explain readers. what a reader is? A reader is the person who's reading the other role in an audition. And I can't tell you the number. I mean, I can say at least oh, yeah. five actors I know who are uh, or have been currently in production contracts on Broadway have been readers for me in the past. We cast, in, in Spamalot, uh, we cast Steve Rosen was our reader, and Mike Nichols was like 
give me that kid. He's funny. I'll put him in the show. On the other hand, we don't want to uh, uh, encourage people to be audition readers because they think they're going to be cast in a show. Okay. Because, no. in right. fact, the point of being an audition reader is is to be right. there for the actors coming in, not That's to true. call attention. No, not to so. audition for yourself. It's an important part of the casting day to have right. a very, you know, the, a, the reader. A competent uh, reader. Mm -hmm. and, be, and for the reader to behave in an appropriate way and not, a, not as if he's auditioning. So what I'm hearing from all of you is, is great encouragement for people out there who, who want to be doing this. There is a figure that in uh, 2000 there were something like 51,000 acting jobs in the New York City area and by the year 2010 there's going to be about 59,000 acting jobs. Yet that flies against the belief that there are tons and tons of unemployed actors <laughs> out there. We've just got a, a few seconds, but is that truism about too many actors out of work really the case, or are the jobs coming up? Are there ever more opportunities? I, I do think, briefly, that, that a, there are a, a lot of people trying to get work who actually haven't trained and haven't, uh, uh, aren't at the level where they're going to get work. So you have to separate those from the ones who actually are right. working actors or will be working actors. It's the paradox of casting there. You know, there are a million brilliant actors, and yet so many things are so hard to cast. Yeah. And there's always only one person to fill it. Yeah. I mean, that's the odd thing. I keep saying there's so many great people out there, but why, at the end of the day, exactly. everybody wants one it's person the It's the paradox. And we all are looking for the same one. Yeah. Same person, right. right. And, he wants to ha and he's, he wants to stay in L.A. for pilot season. <laughs> mm -hmm. But Daniel's point is really the one, which is, yes, there are unemployed actors. And there are, some of them are people who just walk into a room, as Bernie said, because uh, w with a defeatist attitude. So whatever brilliance they have, they can't show. And then there are people who simply don't have the training. Um, or the and, talent. Or the talent and aren't ready. And that exists. There's no getting around it. But for those people who do, and who are sitting at home going, oh, there, there's hope, there's work. And on that note, we're going to have to conclude our discussion. Uh, there are many people behind the scenes of theater who are not known to the audience at large. You are among the unsung heroes of theater, as are your peers. Thank you for the work you do, and thank you for joining us today. Working in the theater programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York with our partners, CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theater Wing, thank you for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theater.